magazines. We fawn over them. We're mesmerized by the minutia in their lives, their Twitter feeds, their Instagram posts, their clo the, the clothes they wear, the food they eat, the exercise routines they follow, the people they love, the places they travel, on and on it goes. Then there are the servants. Yancey himself has spent considerable time with servants, different ones all around the globe. And uh, he has written about them. People like healthcare workers who traded high-paying jobs for thankless work in disease-ridden third-world countries. One example would be Dr. Paul Brand, who worked among leprosy patients in rural India, the poorest of the poor. Yancey has spent time with PhDs who are translating the Bible in remote, hot, mosquito-infested jungles. These folks are, for the most part, not on anyone's radar screens. Yancey says, we have distorted the kingdom of God by training our spotlight not on servants like these, but on the stars. Like uh, Yancey, Roxy and I have had the privilege of rubbing shoulders with countless servants. For 34 years, we have served as the uh, director of, of RHMA, and uh, this has taken us to the back roads of the U.S. We've been to all 50 states and uh, have seen and met some incredible people, folks like Jed and Joella, and folks like, like you. We worked side by side with some of you here a few years ago when we were here with that remodeling project. Um, people whose names are not known, perhaps, beyond the county line, but these are important people, nevertheless. These next few moments, I would like for us to shine the spotlight on servants. And helping us do this is our Lord, who was the greatest servant of all. And I'd like for us to, to look at the text that we read earlier, John chapter 13. Emerging from this text are some significant, I think powerful, and perhaps even surprising ideals of what it means to be a servant. So let's begin with, with verse 1, John chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. This verse sets the stage by explaining our Lord's underlying motivation. He loved his disciples. He had loved them from the first day that he met them. And now that he is nearing the end of his tenure on earth, he wants to demonstrate his love to the very end. Another translation says that it was Christ's desire to show the full extent of his love. Think about that phrase for just a moment. The Son of God, possessing an infinite 
capacity to love is sitting at that Passover table and he's asking himself, how can I show these men the full extent of my infinite love? Talk about an oxymoron. Full extent of infinite love. Try to wrap your arms around this. This is the motivation behind what happens next in our text. Following in Christ's train, I think we do well to also ask, how can we demonstrate our love to those around us? Now, we might answer, well, we could give them a hug. Or we could simply say the words, couldn't we? I love you. Maybe we could bake a casserole or a pie or send a card or give flowers or, or jewelry. While all of these are great ways to show love to others, what is perhaps the best way? Because the scriptures tell us that the two greatest commands are loving God and loving others. It seems really important for us to understand how we might best do this. In verse 2, we see Christ answering the question. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So how did Christ demonstrate the full extent of his love? By picking up a basin and a towel and washing feet. By taking on the humble role of a servant. That word servant is going to appear just a little later in our text. So how might you and I then, perhaps better than any other way, demonstrate our love? I want to suggest that it's by following our Lord's example. And that word example also appears later in our text. With this text suggesting that servanthood is the pinnacle of ways that we might demonstrate our love, how important it is then for us to learn from our Lord what it means to give, to be a good servant. If we will give close attention here to our Lord's words and his actions, I think we will glean some significant insights. So first, from the verses that we've already read, we see that servanthood means having the humility to do the undesirable. Having the humility to do the undesirable. Think about feet for a moment. Inside many of our shoes are knobby toes, calluses, Cracked skin ingrained with dirt, maybe thick skinned heels. 
and maybe you would even catch a whiff <laughs> of smell. Now, in our day, we don't walk around so much with feet exposed to the elements, and we can easily take baths and showers, so there's probably not the same need to wash feet. But when we get down to verse 15, we're going to see that foot washing here is given as an example, suggesting that there are many examples of undesirable, that this is one of many examples of undesirable tasks that servants will willingly do. Now, if you were up here in my place, I know that you could give example after example of foot washing kinds of tasks that regularly occur right here in this church and community. Roxy and I see so many incredible examples of this in our church back in, in Morton. Some in the kitchen, some there during the week cleaning, some getting ready for next Sunday's Sunday school class, some showing up a couple of hours before a funeral to help clean snow off the walk, some doing yard work for an elderly neighbor, some running errands for someone who is recovering from surgery, some helping a single mom with some home or auto repairs, some helping someone get to the doctor, on and on it goes. Fulfilling tasks like these exemplify what it means to be a good servant. Now, did you notice on the list that I just kind of gave you here that there's really not a lot that's terribly appealing on that list? Which of the things that I mentioned would prompt you to wake up in the morning saying, I can't wait to get started? <laughs> I love sweat. I love to get dirty. I love to wait in waiting rooms while someone's seeing the doctor. Nothing glamorous on the list. But good servants don't pick and choose based on what's appealing. So what's perhaps the best way that we can demonstrate our love through a humble willingness to do the undesirable? In our text, it is washing feet. Now, while these tasks like these may seem rather insignificant, and perhaps each one in themselves is relatively insignificant, collectively they will powerfully contribute to the vitality of your church and community. A second ideal, servanthood means being willing to minister unconditionally. Again, our Lord provides the example. We find him washing not just the good guy's feet, but also the feet of the one that he knew was going to betray him. We see this in verse 2. And in verses 10 and 11, Christ actually verbalizes this to the apostles. He says to them, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that was why he said, not all of you are clean. And yet he washed Judas's feet. Important for us to remember, 
is that good, serv good servants will serve even when there is no expectation of return. Good servants will serve the unworthy. Good servants will even serve their adversaries. Some folks are not easy to serve, are they? And for a whole array of reasons. Some time ago, one of our RHMA church planting couples heard a knock on their door. Outside was a family with car troubles, kind of a chronically needy family. This family was in the process of moving out of state. There was absolutely nothing to be gained by serving them. But our couple, our pastor and his wife, did exactly that for the next few hours. Unconditional service. I find it striking that our Lord here, because he is all-knowing, could have sorted things out as he looked around that table. He could have said, I know that there would be a good return if I serve this one here and this one here, but probably not so much with this one. But he didn't do that. He served them all. Many of us could provide examples of service that did not produce positive outcomes. I think when we serve and the outcomes are disappointing, it can be very tempting to say that we're not going to do it again. Or maybe next time we'll just be a little bit more selective about who we decide to serve. Christ's example here of washing Judas's feet encourages us to serve unconditionally. I know at various times there are a number of children in this building. I think you had VBS just a week or two ago, is that right? So children in the building, and some of the kids are just great, aren't they? <laughs> they are cute, they are smart, they're well-behaved, they're fun, they're cool, they're lovable. Some of them are like sponges that will absorb everything that we give them, but inevitably... There are what? <laughs> also a handful of kids that are not so easy to serve. And we might wonder, is it worth the effort? Our Lord's example here encourages us to serve even when it seems there will be no return. And I can say from Roxy's and my years of serving in children's ministries that there will be some surprises. Years later, you're going to find out that God used you in ways that not, are not apparent now. God has a way of using our unconditional service. Third, servanthood means having a clear sense of identity. So it's not here, but in the parallel passage in Luke chapter 22, we find that the disciples, right before this foot washing took place, had the audacity to argue about who of them was the greatest. <laughs> In other words, the disciples were trying to be somebody. And because of this, none of them gave even a second's thought to the possibility that they might be the one that gets up and washes their fellow disciples' feet. Because doing so would have been a declaration that they were nobody 
when they were trying to be somebody. And our Lord here provides the contrast. Remember his compelling motivation was, it was not to be somebody, right? It was to what? To show the full extent of his infinite love. And I think that is the question for us. What is our compelling motivation? To be somebody? Using Philip Yancey's words, to be a star? Or to show love? To be a servant? This tells us that trying to be somebody can stand in the way of loving people. It is difficult to be servants when we're trying to establish an identity. Notice verse 3, it says that one of the reasons Christ had freedom to serve was because he knew that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Christ knew who he was. He had a clear sense of identity. Remember our Lord's baptism which took place before the miracles, before he launched his teaching ministry, before the big crowds. Remember God breaking through the heavens saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Christ's identity was established before he accomplished anything on earth. Understanding this, he was able to embrace the role of a servant. So let's think about ourselves. If we are believers in Christ, do we have a need to establish our identity by scratching and clawing and trying to work our way up the pecking order? Or is our identity already established? Scriptures are full of identity statements for believers. We are God's children, his elect, his priests, his possessions, living stones, on and on it goes. What can we possibly do to further enhance ourselves? If we aren't clear on our identity, we will spend a lot of time trying to be somebody, which will keep us from being servants. When our identity is resolved, we will have the freedom to serve others. So reading on, as Jesus now is moving around the table, he comes to Simon Peter, who says to him in verse 6, Lord, do you wash my feet? <laughs> Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Servanthood can mean, can mean being willing to minister through resistance. And isn't it interesting who resists here? The bad guy, Judas. <laughs> he was more than willing for Christ to wash his feet. It stings a lot more, doesn't it, when the good guys resist. Our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ, our fellow church members. A 
common stereotype is that servants will meekly do what others want them to do. And while that is often the case, here we find the master servant doing something that Peter does not want him to do. Servanthood can mean ministering in ways that are not wanted or accepted by everyone. It is common for our RHMA church planters who uh, move into a community, it's very, very common for them to face resistance in those early days. Why are you here? Who invited you here? We don't want a church here. We don't want you here. There are people all over the country who will tell you that their first reaction when an RHMA church planter moved into the community was to show resistance. But praise God, time after time, the resistant have been won to Christ. There are Christians all over the world today who are serving through resistance, especially in recent days, recent years, when it seems like the enemy is speeding up his agenda. When resistance happens, what is the right thing to do? Keep on loving. Keep on serving. It's as simple as that. Have the kind of resolve that we see as our Lord faces Peter. Now, I don't know what kind of situation you might find yourself in, but I'm guessing that there are times, there may be some of you here this morning, that just need to be encouraged to keep on serving, even through resistance. Resistance happens. It happened to our Lord. And in our Lord's case, it came from an unlikely source came from the, one of the good guys. Peter's response when Christ confronts his resistance reveals a fifth ideal of servanthood. We see this in verse 9. So Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. For some of us this morning, this might be the hardest lesson of all from our text. I suspect some of us are like Peter. You will never, ever wash my feet. <laughs> We're independent, aren't we? We're self-sufficient, or at least we think. Our Lord gently rebukes Peter, and by doing so, he teaches us that servanthood not only recognizes my need to serve, but guess what? It also recognizes my need to be served. Jumping ahead to verse 14, Christ tells his disciples that he wants them to wash each other's feet. So think about this for just a moment. If everyone here at Papa Bible Church is washing everybody else's feet, now understand I'm speaking figuratively here. If everyone here is serving, then what else is happening? Everyone is on the receiving end of service, right? I remember years ago in a conversation with uh, Warren Wearsby, he was at one of our small town pastors conferences and he said, it's a very simple sentence but it just kind of struck 
helped me and, and stuck with me through the years. He said, Ron, you know there really is no such thing as independence for the Christian. We need each other. It takes humility to be a servant. For some of us, it might take a double dose of, of humility to be willing to receive the service of others. Servanthood means acknowledging our need. It means acknowledging our dependence on others. We need to not only be willing givers, but also willing receivers. A sixth and final ideal of servanthood, beginning in verse 12. When he, Christ, had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Christ says he was setting an example. Servants inspire by example, perhaps more than by their words. I find it striking that the greatest communicator who has ever walked this planet didn't preach a sermon here on servanthood, but instead he washed feet. Did you ever stop to think that when you take on a servant's role, you're not just getting a task done, but you are communicating powerfully to others? Some time ago, a team of workers went to help with a new extreme makeover on a newly acquired RHMA church building. It was a building that had been empty for 15 years. It needed tons of repairs. It needed a, an extreme makeover. And uh, so we sent a team, and Roxy and I had, a privilege, had the privilege of being a part of that team that um, did a lot of work on that building. One of the men was a licensed electrician. And I tell you, I had to smile all week long <laughs> um, as I saw this electrician being followed around by a couple of younger guys. They were curious about electrical work, and he patiently showed them how to do it, probably taking twice as long, honestly, as if he would have just done it himself. But what was he showing them besides electrical work? He was showing an example of what it means to be a servant. And he did it like our Lord did it, without preaching a sermon. Some of you may not be cut out for teaching or preaching. The good news is that there are some things that are better caught than taught. Some sermons are better preached by picking up a towel and a basin than by picking up a set of notes like I have here this morning. So we've arrived now at the end of our text, verse 17. Our Lord in, in closes with some really encouraging words. 
He says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Notice who the focus is on here. It says, who's blessed? It says, you are blessed. Not just those who you serve, but you who serve. There's irony here, because remember, we began by saying that servanthood means having the humility to take on the undesirable. But guess what happens when we do that? Servants receive a blessing in return. Follow servants around, and you will see people who look like they're having a good time. I would venture to say that if you were having a work day here at the church, and I would stick my head in the kitchen, I'd see a bunch of ladies who were not only serving, cleaning out cupboards, whatever, in the kitchen, but I would also hear some laughter and some talk. They'd be having a good time. If I saw a bunch of men painting in a room or something, something very similar would happen. Wouldn't you know, God somehow makes doing the undesirable a blessing. Back to Philip Yancey, he writes, I must tell you that in my limited experience, these stars are as miserable a group of people as I've ever met. Most have troubled marriages, nearly all are hopelessly dependent on psychotherapy, and in a heavy irony, these larger-than-life heroes seem tormented by incurable self-doubt. But as I reflect on the servants, says Yancey, they clearly emerge as the graced ones. They work for low pay, long hours, no applause, wasting their talents and skills, but somehow in the process of losing their lives, they have found them. My dad would testify to this. Dad was a blue-collar guy. He would never want to be up in front of people like I am here this morning. But with his skills, he was known all around our neighborhood and church to be willing to lend a helping hand. He would be fixing things. He would be spending countless hours with older people or just people who needed help. Uh, didn't really matter who they were. He spent countless weekends helping missionaries who were serving on Indian reservations north of Phoenix, uh, where, where we lived. Dad used to say that he had never worked for a paycheck with the same amount of pleasure that he received from voluntary service. So I had a great example as I was growing up. I don't know exactly how this works, but I do know that those who give and give and give as servants to the place where you would think they would be utterly empty, somehow in God's economy, their cup is full. So how can we be a blessing and receive multiple blessings? By showing the full extent of our love through serving one another. By weaving service into the fabric of our lives. By being willing to take on the undesirable by being willing to minister unconditionally with no expectation of return,
by having a clear sense of identity, by being willing to minister through resistance if needed, by being willing to receive the service of others, and by inspiring others with our example. May God bless you as you continue to seek avenues of service for him. Let's pray. Father, we are in absolute awe as we see your son picking up a towel and serving us as human beings. Father, we want to thank you for the many ways that you demonstrate your love for us, unworthy as we are, and service being one of those ways. And Lord, by demonstrating your love through service, we thank you for the example that you give to us. Help us, Lord, at every opportunity. We know sometimes we hear a message on Sunday, and would you believe on Tuesday there's an opportunity to put it into practice. Lord, if that happens to us this week, we invite your spirit to just remind us of your example that we saw this morning. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.